HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Good afternoon, and it's Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. I'm your host, Severin Von Charner Fleming, coming to you live from the Hudson Valley um, at my farm, Smithereen Farm, and I'm happy to be sponsored by Hearst Ranch today and every day, uh, 4 o'clock on Thursdays. Join us online and join us um, on the air. Today I'm joined on the air by Annie Novak from the Rooftop Garden Project. Annie, are you there? I am. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon. Thank you so much oh, for coming on the show today. Well, how's that? Thank you so much for coming on the show. I wanted to um, oh, I wanted to get started right away, filling in everybody who doesn't already know about you and your rooftop garden project, about mm-hmm. who you are and what you're working on right now. Great. Um, well, uh, as you mentioned, it's Rooftop Farms is the name of our farm. Uh, ben Flanner and I. Uh, run the farm right now. It was put together by Good Green, a green roof installation company based out of New York. And we are 6,000 square feet of rooftop space on a rooftop in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. So, um, Amy, maybe you could explain um, to, those, to those of our listeners who are not yet uh, plant people um, how you first you became awakened to your own love of plants, which really now <laughs> propels you. Um, to be such a passionate spokesperson for the plant kingdom and the food world. Um, yeah. Can you explain that process to them? Absolutely. I, um, I, as you said, I was not, I didn't grow up with an agricultural life at all. Um, we actually grew up on a pretty basic diet of the same three meals every day. Um, so there wasn't much in my life about food or plants. Um, I was always outside, but more in the imagination part of outside than actually playing with plants. Um, and I, when I went to school, I ended up doing a lot of work in fair trade. I was really, I love to eat chocolate, and um, I ended up in West Africa for uh, spending some time at the University of Cape Coast. And when I was out working in the field, doing my field work with these wonderful female farmers, um, I realized I didn't know enough about plants to actually tell the whole story of chocolate. Because when you talk about it as a commodity, um, you're only really talking, talking about the packaging and what it is that I was buying. But what was so interesting about it and what kept the food so separate from its source was actually the way it was grown. Um, and it, particularly a tropical food that me as a Chicagoan at the time or a New Yorker was buying, like, the distance was really huge. So I got really curious, and the, it was one of those things where the more you learn, the more you realize you know very little about what you're doing. 
Um, and so from there, it was just anything I could learn about plants or the soil or the way people take care of plants in the soil or the way the soil and plants take care of us, it just it got me going. And from there, I became more and more interested in food itself. Um, and as a lifelong vegetarian, the connection with plants for me was really it was necessary. Like, I need to know what's nutritious for me. I need to know how to take care of myself. Um, and a lot of that comes from knowing where vitamins and nutrients come from in plants, and that comes from understanding the soil as well. And if you don't mind me asking, what's your favorite kind of chocolate? My favorite kind of chocolate? Um, gosh, I think it varies. I, it sort of depends what else I'm eating. Um, but I just found a wonderful chocolate company based out of Seattle called Teo. And they do really clever combinations of um, really high-quality beans mixed with things like breadcrumbs or um, they did one with cayenne. So I've been enjoying their bars recently, and they're uh, well-produced. It's produced fair trade as well. Yeah, I haven't done exhaustive um, survey data, but I, I do suspect that chocolate is the kind of energy-dense food that many, many young farmers rely on to get through those <laughs> early entrepreneurial years. <laughs> I think it's the one thing that breaks all locavores. <laughs> you can eat locally as much as possible, except for chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I think we have a pretty good consensus um, on that. Um, now, so there you were. You fell in love with Teobroma Cacao. You were in West Africa, and you then decided to learn as much as possible about plants. What 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 did you do next? Um, so I returned from West Africa, you know, totally changed person in many ways. I think it was one of the first cultures I had lived in where I went not knowing the language. And so I felt, you know, I had to, I had to figure out new ways to communicate. Um, I had to learn a lot of, I had to sound stupid for a very long time, actually, because I was learning really basic Bunty. Um, and, you know, West Africa just in many ways is dramatically different from the way I was living in New York. So I came back and um, took everything that I had seen, which is really different from what I had read, and applied that to learning more about my local food system. And I think that was just sort of because that's what I had. Like, I, I didn't have time to leave New York again. Um, and then shortly after, actually, my father passed away. And so I decided to stay in the States rather than going back abroad and continuing to study chocolate. So I wanted to stay close to my family. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a fellowship in the New York Botanical Gardens in the Bronx, where I've been working ever since. So now it's been about five years being involved in a really wonderful children's gardening program at the Howell Family Garden. Um, we have, uh, actually just this morning, we had this amazing class. We were teaching the kids on the topic of organic gardening. So I'm just trying to walk the kids through what blood meal is and how it's good for the soil and how it works. And um, it's great. You break down so many barriers because a lot of kids come in who want to grow where you're growing chicken McNuggets, and a lot of kids come in who want to know where your arugula is. And there's a really broad spectrum of knowledge with these 6- to 12-year-olds. Um, and it helps me learn, too, you know, because I'm learning at their level and I'm Thankfully, I've surpassed their level of knowledge, and I'm learning a lot more. But it's a, it's a great program. And during the, um, you know, during the course of the year also, I get practice growing here because we have two acres of vegetables. So, so you're a pioneer uh, of a lot of things. I think that um, all of these new experiences that you immersed yourself in probably prepared you for... Um, the experience of being a greenhorn uh, at rooftops. You now have had some experience in the soil, I mean, of the planet, the soil. But now you're um, part of a very small handful of roof technicians who are having to figure out the logistics and technical implications of um, growing on a roof and the mm -hmm. medium that uh, you need. 
tell us tell us what that learning curve was like. Well, you know, so we Ben and I started this project at the end of April, and we had I first met Ben back in November, so this is a really young project still. And when he proposed it, um, I think he had initially we had contacted he had contacted me as someone who could give him a little bit of planting advice. And the more I got to know what he wanted to try and accomplish and where he was at, the more I thought it would work out better if we were partners because, you know, Ben was actually looking for a, mentor, a mentorship. Um, he had been thinking of going out of the city to farm, and instead we were able to figure out a way for, you know, him to stay in the city, launch this project, and then for me to get involved as well. And um, Ruth, you know, Ruth is a really interesting growing site. Um, for a lot of New Yorkers, there are these images of space constraints. And what surprised me the most about my friends who apartment garden is just how much food you're able to grow in a very small amount of space. Um, so it's not, it's not necessary to have a full-size roof to put plants in your life and to start your own little food system. Um, where Ben and I were lucky is that um, we had, we, right now we have an environment that's full sun, which is great for vegetables. Um, we have a community, Greenpoint, which has very little ground-level park space. It's one of the few neighborhoods in New York that actually has um, I think we have, I mean, we have McGorlick Park and a couple people have yards, but it's not built, there's a lot of sidewalk. It's not built around public space the way that a lot of other neighborhoods in New York are. So a roof is a really good, logical, open space for us to start a farm if we want to serve that community. Um, and what have we learned so far? It's been fascinating. We actually started the project thinking that the roof would be very difficult to us, that the, shallow, the soil would be too shallow, that the sun would be too hot, that the plants would be blown over by wind. But surprise, surprise, plants are enormously resilient, and we've actually had a really successful bumper crop, um, thanks both to the heavy rains in June and also to the fact that um, as the plants grow on the roof space, they're acclimating really well. So they have very thick stalks. <laughs> yeah, and I would imagine that you would get great heat for your tomatoes with all that um, urban, urban heat island effect. <laughs> exactly. Great for the tomatoes, not so good for the cucumbers, but we're figuring it out. <laughs> Yeah. So here you are, and you're suddenly um, an activist in this roof, rooftop gardening um, movement, but you haven't lost your allegiance to, this, to the soil of the earth yet, have you? No, not at all, and I'm really glad you brought that up. I, um, I, I primarily am concerned about the relationship between people and food, and any space and any project that allows me to talk to people about how what you eat deeply affects the place you live, I'll talk about it, um, and I'll work with whatever I have. And I, the rooftop, as I mentioned, has been great because the community of Brooklyn and the people we've been working with are desperate for this knowledge. People, people you know, in Brooklyn, they love to cook, they love to eat well, and now we're finally making the connection. People also care very deeply about the way their food is grown and the quality of it, both for their own health sake and for the fact that I think more and more people are aware that agriculture in America is kind of illogical. Um, and so anything I can do, right now it's the rooftop project. Um, the past five years it's been taking kids from the Bronx and bringing them up to the botanical gardens and the family garden. Um, I've done, a, for a number of years now, I've run a program called Growing Chefs, which takes um, food education from field to fork. So we do basic planting projects, and then from that we grow our own food to cook with later on in the session. Um, I've done a lot of work with schoolyards, taking schoolyards and reclaiming the land that's been you know, it has a lot of lead in it or there are rat problems um, and making edible food to supplement cafeteria food within the schools. And that stuff is all deeply important. I maintain a mentorship with a farmer in Union Square through the Green Market Program. And the woman that I work with, uh, Kira Kenny, is 
absolutely fantastic organic farmer, and her advice is something I would never want to lose. Um, so, yeah, wherever there's something to grow and I can show people how to do it, I'm there. The rooftop is awesome, but it can happen any place. Well, I hope you keep doing it. We have to now make a station break and announce our sponsor. Um, thank you very much to Hearst Family Ranch for sponsoring this show. I am Severin Bonchoner Fleming, your host for Greenhorns Radio every Thursday at 4 on Heritage Radio Network. And we're very glad to be here. And now we'll go to music. of the Radio Land. This is Severin. I'm your host once again every Thursday, 4 o'clock, Greenhorn Radio. I'm happy to be joined today on the radio with by Annie Novak, who is most famously now involved with the rooftop garden in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, um, one of the most scenic skyscapes that an organic farm ever had. Um, you can visit their project uh, over the web and in many, many recent news articles. Um, Annie, do you want to share with us some of the um, links to some of the ways that people can latch into your and other uh, relevant urban gardening resources? Yeah, absolutely. If you are curious about Rooftop Farms, we're at www.rooftopfarms.org. You can contact us also at rooftopfarmer at gmail.com. Um, there are many resources available to people who are interested in learning more about plants. Uh, I personally recommend organizations like Just Food. They do a lot of great work within the city, connecting people to CSAs. Um, I recommend simply visiting farmer's markets and getting to know your local farmer. A lot of those people may or may not have websites or email addresses, but they're happy to talk. Um, programs like the New York Botanical Gardens up in the Bronx, we have a two-acre vegetable garden you're welcome to visit any time, the Howell Family Garden, and the exhibit this summer is actually on edible gardening. Um, farmers in particular... This is where Severin's beautiful book comes in handy, which I was actually reading last night <laughs> for the third time in a row with the list of good resources. Um, and uh, if you have the time and you're willing to, you know, take a break from your job or you've been forced to take a break from your job, I definitely recommend the Wolfing Program, Willing Workers on Organic Farms, which points you in the right direction in a lot of different countries, and then from there you can meet people and stay with the program or leave the program. Uh, and it's an apprenticeship that I've done, I started with and then uh, found other folks, but I've done it for the past three winters now, and it's fantastic. Um, got me a lot of agriculture experience in different countries, which is always a really cool way of looking at your food and looking at where your food might come from, might have come from. Yeah, so i just give it another, another plug. Um, we have just updated our 40-page guidebook um, for beginning oh. farmers, and I hope, Annie, that if you saw anything missing that you'll put it in because we have, a, um, we have a, an online wiki where you can sign in and then add to that um, body of knowledge that is then shared throughout the young farmer community. 
um, we are only as strong as the data we can collectively hold. Um, but I think that many, many people are going to be inspired by this project and will be seeing the tools and um, tricks of the trade to get going on their own um, vertical, horizontal, urban, or rural agricultural projects. I hope that we see more of all of them. Um, Annie, will you tell me a little bit um, and describe a little bit for the people who are listening exactly what is going on underneath your garden? Yeah, um, well, at the ground level, there's um, possibly toxic sludge, and then on top of that is the concrete, and then we have a movie studio. Um, it's a warehouse on the waterfront that's used for making films. It's a company called Broadway Productions. Um, and on top of that, we have our roof, and the installation was done by Good Green, and they, um, the first thing you have to put down is a, a membrane, which is usually just a really thick layer of plastic that roots can't break. Um, and um, when we were deciding what roof to use, the really important thing is to scout out water access and drainage. Because if you can't get good water on a roof, um, you might just end up relying on rain, and rain is supposed to drain off of roofs very quickly. So one thing to think about is with what you're growing is if you're growing vegetable crops, you're, you're going to want to have some sort of access to water, whether you build a rainwater collection system or a hose. Or, um, so we put down that black plastic, and then Good Green installed kind of like black plastic cups, and it looks like what they do is they collect the water. They're about an inch by an inch, and they run all 6,000 square feet. And on top of that is two layers of felt, and the felt acts kind of like a paper towel. It sucks up the moisture, and it retains it. And then on top of that, we were told by an engineer, which you also have to have before you put anything on your roof, please, <laughs> is um, uh, but we were told we could have six inches of soil. And because we wanted to grow vegetables, what we decided to do is mound it into four beds of four inches, and then the rest of them are between seven and nine or something like that. Um, and we decided to dedicate the shallower beds to leafy greens and the deeper beds to deeper-rooted vegetables. Um, the soil mix is 50% expanded shale and 50% compost, so it's a lightweight soil designed to sit on a roof well and to be, you know, it, it lets water drain easily and... Um, and then um, from there, we just put the seeds in. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's, it, was, it stretches across the whole roof in 50, 16 rows. And um, we built it to run like a farm. The only thing we can't do is get like a big tractor up there and actually till. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't really be into tilling anyway, so we're good. What about um, like uh, we just dug up our, our field with um, a broad fork, and I I today or no not today yesterday I punctured my irrigation tube twice. I I worry that um, with plastic underneath the whole thing you would be in danger of puncturing the critical barrier layers. Is that a concern? Um. Well, what we're working with has, as I said, it has that double layer of felt, and it's actually a lot trickier than you would think to stake through it. Um, we've been putting up six foot tomato stakes recently to protect those poor guys against this huge wind that comes out from under the Williamsburg Bridge and just batters us. And you, when you put gentle pressure on them, you can feel when they hit that layer because there's a little bit of give but no pop. And um, the felt cloth stops you usually from breaking through the plastic. Wow, but you can support a, a six-foot stake with a, the soil that you have? Yeah, I mean, the soil, the soil holds very well. It's not, it doesn't turn into mud. The structure, because of the rocks and stuff that are in it, the structure seems, the integrity of it seems to be, you know, pretty good. And we've had a lot of heavy rain, and those, the rows have stayed in very tight mounds. Um, 
I think over time, as more organic matter, like the dead roots and what have you, is added to the soil, it'll change. Um, but right now, no, it's been fine. If you stick the if you stick the stake straight in, it's been staying straight up with very little wiggle. Okay, so here's a big here's a big meta question for you. Um, <laughs> if our mission as um, young agents of change in our world, in our food system, and in our the grand project of rebuilding America, um, yes. <laughs> it does feel like these rooftop gardens are going to increasingly um, revolve around the idea of local food production, and there will be they will be magnets for community-based organizing, and they will be attractants of butterflies and happy-faced children, um, and are definitely a, should be included in the strategic plan for how we reclaim um, urban and post-industrial areas. Um, what else do you think is really critical for people like yourself who are getting involved in these kinds of projects? Um, also, what jumps to mind is these um, urban nurseries and um, places where people are propagating plants for others to use. What are some? Um, what would you? What would you envision in, a, in an ideal America that that would exist at a state or um, federal level to support the kind of work that you're doing? Well, you know, here's here's where my involvement begins. I I just want people to eat better because they understand why they're doing it. I think what my concern is faddishness. I don't want local food to become something that people do because they abstractly think it's cool. Um, the more you start to understand how plants produce food and where that comes from, I think the easier it is to avoid things like diet trends or raw food trends or what have you and, and really commit to just living better because it's something that makes so much sense. Um, where that takes a citizen is into the realm of being a better consumer and a better voter. Um, I'm more likely to vote better on land issues about upstate New York because I understand how food is grown um, and how it's grown in upstate New York. I'm more likely to be a better shopper because I know the difference between this type of tomato and that type of tomato because I've tried growing one and I understand and I've tasted the difference. Um, so for Ben and I, with this, with this space that we have, you know, a lot of it is about bringing urban agriculture to New York. But we, with our small space and with our large demand, can't feed everyone who's hungry for this. That's where the education comes in, and that's where going out and being better people, the people that come and eat our lettuce, that's where that comes in for me. Um, on a state and federal level, it's so, <laughs> it's so deep and entangled, Severin, that I'm not even sure where to begin with that. Um, where, where I've been most satisfied and able to live a happy life is to stay with the people in my community and promote them to be more educated about these issues so that when I go attacking larger things, I have 50 people with me who also agree and they agree because they believe it, not because, you know, I talk really loud or something. Um, ultimately, well, I and they believe you because you, you feed them. I mean, I feel like there's something so compelling. You know, it's like I've got something to say, but um, you don't have to believe me. You can just see it from the health of my face and from the cookies that I'm offering you, or maybe not the cookies, but the kale that I'm offering <laughs> to my community that I, that I don't mean only mean well, but I do, I do well by by the place that I live in. And I feel like that's exactly. something that having that, um, well, you've got a pretty beautiful podium up there, but you, um, you're you showing leadership by your commitment to, to, the, to the plants. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I mean, I don't, I've tried very hard since, since the whole point of learning about food for me was going back to very basic logic of living. I mean, plants take care of us if we take care of plants. And I think, 
as long as that's something that people can buy into because they're witnessing it happening, then, you know, you can't, you can't go to illogical places like our agricultural system has gone. It, everyone understands that. And it's really the distance between people and where their food comes from that's causing this mess, you know. So the closer we can bring them, even if they own one tomato plant, but then the rest of the tomatoes they buy, you know, echo that one commitment, then, you know, it'll work out. It'll echo out. And all the state and government has to do is respond to that. I mean, all they have to do is respect that and respond to that. And I think we're creaking in the right direction. It's still a small market. I mean, the organic market is still super tiny. Um, but we're pushing. We're pushing. It's only been maybe 65 years of a really big mess, so we can undo that. Well, everyone, I, we're coming to the end of our session, but it does seem like farming and gardening and just careful observation and care of a little plant um, can change your life and your whole perspective. And don't take it from me. Don't take it from Annie. Go try it for yourself. Um, it's not too late this year. You can always grow radishes. And you can, <laughs> you can grow them on just a windowsill, and you will, um, you will perceive one of nature's great joys. Um, and will you mind t telling folks about your um, work days? My, I'm sorry? Don't you have a work day um, and yoga sessions? Yes, thank you. I do. Rooftop Farms, uh, if you check the website at rooftopfarms.org, we will post a way to get a hold of us if you'd ever like to volunteer. We've been doing it on Sundays, usually from about 9 o'clock in the morning until 4 in the afternoon, and that runs parallel to our market, which is 10 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. So whether you'd like to actually learn how to plant something or you'd just like to eat something that somebody else planted, you're welcome to it. And um, I offer a free workshop at 2 o'clock every week, and I'm absolutely committed to the idea that this knowledge is something that should be free and shared. Um, there's plenty of opportunity for me to charge money <laughs> in other places, but if you'd like to come and join us on the roof, I will teach you everything I know with great joy. And uh, sometimes we do also have yoga classes because <laughs> you can't run a hippie urban farm without a little yoga. <laughs> Wow, Annie, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, I'm, I'm awed by your work, and I look forward to being um, in alliance with you for the rest of our careers. Ditto, Severin. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us today on Greenhorns Radio. Uh, we hope you'll join us again next week, um, every Thursday at 4 p.m., uh, by Young Farmers for Young Farmers. We Next week, I'll actually not be, no, I will be here next week, but I won't be here the next week, and we'll have a roundtable um, round that was pre-recorded, uh, nine young farmers in Harwood, Vermont, talking about um, the logistics of getting started and what it's like to be an agro-ninja agro and other related themes. So that will be on, and then we'll be back live again with farmers from around the country. And I hope that you are already on our mailing list. If you're not, please go to www.thegreenhorns.net. We are glad to be hosting many um, young farmer events, mixers, um, seed swaps, and we're planning something still pretty secret, but it's, um, it's going to involve watermelons. So please, please, please stay in the network. Uh, if you're a young farmer or an aspiring farmer, um, get a move on and bring all your friends on board, get, get, um, get your savings account started, and keep in touch. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.